So, Stephen, my question for you is, what is maturity? When did you feel, like, what age, if it has happened yet, do you feel you became somewhat mature? Because I know you're a crying little baby when we're out of here, <laughs> but... Uh, so, I guess, um, so my first response is, how do I define mature? And is it the same as, like, there's a word that we use in my family a lot, which is poised. You know, some my, my wife, Ellen, uses this word, and I, I've come to like that word a lot because... Huh, use it in a sentence. Um, you know, it could be a kid, or it could be someone who was put in a circumstance that's not their natural circumstance, and and she might say, you know... I thought their response to that situation was very poised. Like, you don't lose your cool. You don't shrivel up and die. You don't um, strike back. So another way, of, you, another way of saying that maybe is when situation is difficult, you maybe wait rather than react. Not necessarily. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to be poised. Sometimes you do react, but poised. But I, I've come to think of maturity... This is just me personally as exhibiting poise almost constantly. That's the way I would kind of define it. That's just my personal like definition. That. But I would also say this, therefore, that when you ask about what age does it happen, I don't think maturity or poise, except in some very obvious ways where children you know, do things where they, quote, mature and stop doing certain things that they used to do. I think that in the important ways that maturity is not really an age-based characteristic. In other words... I know a lot of people my generation who I would not consider mature. And by that I mean... Is that a euphemism for saying, I know you? <laughs> not at all. I think you're pretty mature in some very I'm, significant I'm okay. ways. No, I know a lot of people... I flew on an airplane yesterday, and some minor things happened that minorly inconvenienced some of the people sitting around me. When you say minor, are you talking about like a little boy? <laughs> or like a, no, someone a who boy. drills for coal? No, 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 neither, neither. Small, Like some coal-like things happen. Listen to you with the <laughs> homonyms today. Okay, so, um, so no, I was on a plane. I happened to be sitting up front. That's what we call it, up front, right? I happened to be sitting up front, and some things happened there, and the people around me started to act as though, you know, someone had dropped a vial of bubonic plague on the floor. And that, to me, is a classic expression of lack of maturity. So what does maturity mean to me? It means that you kind of understand a situation and a context. It means that even though you are plainly within that context, that you don't put yourself above, you know, it's kind of the opposite of narcissism in that way. And to me, a lot of it just comes with experience of um, knowing that rather than just responding to the stimuli that are put in front of you right now, some of which may be very unsettling or, or, or whatnot, and responding to them kind of lashing out, I think maturity is kind of drawing on your experience, your intellect, whatever it is, to understand, okay, I'm being faced with something now that is maybe unpleasant, Maybe rare, maybe even a little dangerous, but the best way for me to kind of work out the situation for me and the other people around me is to think a few steps down. If I respond, if I lash out, what's going to happen then? And I find that a lot of people don't really think about that. I agree. I agree very much with what you say. Can I tell you my definition? Please. Which is very similar, I think. I think they intersect. Um, I think a little bit what you're saying is 
things happen in the world that want you to react a certain way, and there's a big challenge in not reacting that way. To notice these reactions coming up in you and staying poised instead of instantly reacting. I think there's a spectrum of that. Like I think in that definition, I am not really mature. Like I think it's one of those things where you can get better and better, but there's always going to be a situation that confounds you and causes you to react irrationally more than you would have liked, you know, when you look at it in retrospect. But for me, I realized, like, let me ask you a question. In all your years growing up, dating, relationships, or whatever, have you ever called a woman five times in a row in a minute and said, please talk to me? And she would hang up each time. I'm afraid I haven't. Really? Okay, well, I have. And that, to me, is the strongest sign of lack of maturity. (laughs) And so I think maturity a little bit that I always try to cultivate more and more, and it's always a practice rather than something that, okay, now I'm done. Like, it's always a practice, is never trying to control anybody else, never trying to change anybody else, never trying to beg anyone to do what you think they should do as opposed to what they want to do. Because then that's the surest sign that they're going to hate you more, that you're going to be angry, that everyone's going to be resentful, you're going to be unhappy, they're going to be unhappy, no one's going to do it. Like if it's an employee, no one's going to do a good job. If you're an employee and someone's trying to change you, you're going to resent saying yes when you should have said no. So all of these things and frustrations that happen in, in life tend to be when one person's trying to control another and it never really works out. Now, along with that... Hey, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the science on this. I don't know if there is good science on this. Maybe there isn't. It has to do with how you feel. But do, do you think that the urge to control other people, and I realize that's a big verb, control, because that can take a lot of um, avenues. Do you think the urge to control other people is more predominant among American males than females? No, but I think everybody does things out of fear, right? So why would I call or why would anybody call someone five times in a row? Yeah, why did you do that? Let's say... Give us the deets. Let's say there's been a hundred times that I've done that. and You've done that a hundred times? You've called someone five times or you've called one person a hundred times? Probably a little bit of both. Wow, yeah. (laughs) You're right, you are very immature. I have to agree with you now. So so probably a lot of that comes from... and But I'm saying this about every aspect of maturity. This is the same answer. It comes out of some sort of fear. So maybe in that case, there might be fear of abandonment or fear of insecurity or fear of some sort of loss. So I might... Um, be immature, or I might overreact in a situation where I'm afraid I'm going to lose money, even though it might be irrational and I can't. I might be afraid I'm going to be fired. Okay, but by that point, I might already be fired. There's nothing I could do. We have now reached the midpoint of our program, which means we're going to pause for a moment. Today, we would like to thank our sponsor, Prudential. When talking about retirement, what things do you focus on? while Prudential is proposing a new way to think about retirement. Have you ever wondered how picking out your clothes in the morning can affect how you save for retirement? Sounds like an odd connection, but what you may not realize is that from the moment we wake up, our brains are making hundreds of little decisions, and all of these decisions add up. Get up or hit snooze. Gray shirt or purple shirt. I'm actually wearing a purple shirt today. Coffee or tea. I had coffee. With every decision we make, our brains become more tired. And when your brain is tired, you're more likely to give in to impulses and procrastination. So next time you're about to put something off, remember, our brains are hardwired to procrastinate, which means the sooner you reset your wiring and start saving more for retirement, the better off you'll be down the line. 
So visit bringyourchallenges.com to learn about procrastination and other behaviors that get in the way of saving more for retirement. Prudential, bring your challenges. If you say that humans generally overreact or react irrationally or even with some kind of self-harm out of fear, which I think is a pretty easy statement for most people to agree with, right? What are some ideas to combat that? Okay, so one thing is it's easier to react properly when you're healthy as opposed to sick. Would you agree? Yeah, sure. You're sick in bed. Sure. Totally, you're irrational, you're coughing, you're not fully functional. The other thing is I'm more likely to not want to change the people around me if I'm around people who I'm grateful to be around and who are grateful to be around me. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And third, if I have a plan B, so if I always have lots of ideas like, okay, if this person doesn't react how I want them to, I have my plan B about how I can get something done that I want to get done without relying on this person. Mm -hmm. So if I can improve every day my creativity, I think 24-7 people should try to be creative as much as possible. And finally, I think having some level of surrender, like, okay, I'm just, things aren't going to happen the exact way I, I want, but I'm grateful uh, they're happening the way they are. Mm-hmm. And so having some, and that's not something you say, okay, now I'm, I did it, I'm done with that. That's a daily practice. I've been told by some people who work in the psychological field that, look, a lot of people have a lot of fears of all kinds of things, right? There could be career, relationship things, like you're talking about relationship things. It could be physical things, could even be phobias, right? And And so... Even to call all of them fear is maybe to kind of make the word represent too much. But that one of the most effective ways that they've found to help people deal with fears, meaning to not be either crippled by them or to not react to them in a way that they later regret, is to literally just say, okay, let's say the thing that I fear really happens. Yeah, that's kind of a stoic the well, I don't know if I'd call it, uh, maybe you'd call it stoic. I would think of it a little bit, some, I'd think of it a little bit more just like looking down the road in a more, it's like expanding your choice set, right? So I think that when you think, yes, when you're scared of something, that. you're thinking like, oh crap, there's the thing that I do not want to happen. The way I am now is the way I want things to happen. So it's kind of a binary thing, right? If I I can expand the choice set a little bit and say, well, here's the thing that I think might happen that I'm really scared of, what's going to happen? What will that do? Right, so so that's why I think... Whoops, hang on. My my Apple Watch says, time to stand. Stand up and move a little for for one minute. Right, so... so Talk for a minute. I'm going to just be moving. So here's an example where you have have not a goal of moving right now, but you have a theme... That if you move more in your life, this is what then, I call this is what I call the rocking horse. You like this one? I do. Yeah. Very, very sexy, actually. Nice. So, <laughs> you have if you have a theme of movement as opposed to a goal, like I'm gonna m- walk ten thousand steps a day. Oh, I got that too. But but I think themes work stronger than goals because a goal is like you're saying this this is my goal. I have to make a million by the time I'm thirty, or I'm gonna be unhappy. Well, that's unlikely to happen. But if I have a theme of constant improvement and constant networking and constant coming up with ideas, then you're more likely over the set of, of, of the lifetime of your theme to achieve, you know, the things that make you happy in life. Can I tell you, though, if this question, this this conversation began with the question of what is maturity? Yes. 
So I would argue if I now that now that we've talked for, about this for a while, I think I have an answer that I like more than the non-answer. Finally, that I we've just been BSing around. Hey, what, until would now. Have, what would we have done the whole time if it didn't? You have were to, doing the rocking horse. True, my rocking horse is so. People, if you want a really good standing up, equipment-free exercise, I just made this up on the spot, but man, it felt really good. You stand up, pretend you're a little kid. You're on a rocking horse, and you got to kind of work it with your legs, but keeping your arms a little up and. Stephen Dubner, personal trainer. There you go. Um, but but here's what I would say about um, what I think is truly what maturity is about is a lot of people call it a lot of different things. Metacognition, knowing yourself, being able to estimate and assess your own decisions and thoughts and so on. That's where I think really maturity comes in. Because if you think about us humans as animals, there's no, you know, children are generally not really in it for the altruism, right? There are some children who do wonderful things for other people or for animals and so on. But basically, we do need to learn to be one animal in the middle of a big, 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 big bunch of animals, right? And, but I think that um, where, where we really get good is where we can inspect our own decisions with a really cool, clear eye no matter how, so I'm not saying you need to be unselfish. You can be as selfish as you want. But um, I don't know if you know Angela Duckworth, who's a psychologist at Penn, who who's kind of famous for exploring the notion of grit and what grit is. And grit turns yeah. out to be a very essential component in most, you know, business and academic and intellectual success. But she said of all the people that she interviewed who had been successful trying to determine kind of what is grit to some degree, the trait that she identified that many, many successful people had and not many unsuccessful people had was this kind of self-cognition. And I think that is the cognitive, the intellectual version of maturity that I think I and you and, and a lot of people are really seeking. Okay, so I gave you a technique before. What's a technique for developing self-cognition? Because I still I don't know what self-cognition means. You know, I don't know so much about how to develop it, um, per se, other than to practice and to try to be aware of why this decision that I just made like that or this response that I just had or this this project that I've decided to get involved in, what's that about? Is it about me wanting to look smart? Is it about me wanting to be, quote, successful? Is it about me wanting to do something good for other people? It's an understanding of your true motivations and incentives on a micro and a macro basis. And I think that is really important. And I think that it's something that it, once you understand that kind of frame that people operate in or don't operate in, it's very easy to sit back and look at people and think, oh man, they think that they are being very aware of their actions right now and their decisions and they're not. Well, I like that technique a lot. I wouldn't call it a technique. No, but I, I, I think that noticing things and then thinking about them is good. I'm going to um, throw in one little thing. Sometimes I think to myself, let's say I'm angry. I think to myself, oh, why did he do that? And there might be... He, meaning you or, or it could be you. yourself or another person, though? <laughs> no, why did right. Steven say that thing But you never me? get angry at me. Uh, no, I never get angry at you. Um, but why Why did he do that? And I and instead of saying, why did he do that, which might have no... You're never going to get a reasonable answer. It's better to notice you said that, and, and you even in your head, and to say, I wish he hadn't done that. And then you can move on. And uh, But by the way, I still don't believe you've never called a girl five times in a row. I'm calling BS on that. 
Hmm. We've received word that there are still questions at large. Find out which one we're taking down next time, right after this. Again, we'd like to thank Prudential for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget, our brains are hardwired to procrastinate, but not all procrastination is created equal. Did you know that there are different types of procrastinators? Worriers, big dreamers, distracted and unmotivated procrastinators? Where do you fall? Visit bringyourchallenges.com to take the procrastination personality test and find out. Prudential, bring your challenges. Hey, don't forget, tickets are now available for our live question of the day event on Thursday, January 14th in Brooklyn, New York at The Bell House. Just go to thebellhouseny.com. And we are very pleased to announce that our special guest will be the smart and funny Nagin Farsad. If you don't know her stuff, you should look her up. N-E-G-I-N is Nagin Farsad, F-A-R-S-A-D. She's awesome. We're thrilled she'll be joining us. Also, tweet us your questions for that live event. Use the hashtag QOD live. Tweet it to QOD at QOD, that is for a chance to win free tickets to the show in addition to having your question answered live. Thank you. On the next question of the day. So there's hundreds of thousands of flights that take off every single day, and they're all really experiments of safety. You know, given a certain set of circumstances on a plane, we know what's going to potentially get people from A to B safely. And if it doesn't work, we get feedback instantly and adjust accordingly. 